you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to invite you to open up to Matthew chapter 27. As we embark on our journey this morning, I invite you to read along with me. Matthew chapter 27, beginning at verse 1. It says, Now when the morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. When they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. And Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, What is that to us? You see to it. So he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. The chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It's not lawful to put them into the treasury, for they are the price of blood. So they consulted together and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, When they took thirty pieces of silver, the value of him who was pierced, whom they set, uh, whom they of the children of Israel have priced, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for the truth of your word and the pages of scripture. Lord, we ask that your spirit would be here with us, guiding and leading. And Father, that you would do the work. Lord, that your spirit would touch our lives and our hearts, God, and that we would have our eyes open to see that which you have for us this morning. We ask that you be glorified and magnified in this place as we seek to honor you in what we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we continue this morning with uh, part two of three parts, actually, of the trial of Jesus. We see still we're dealing with an illegal trial according to the Mishnah and the Talmud, according to their law. No trial was to be held at night. But the first part of Jesus' trial, when the, when the uh, order of guilty comes down from the Jewish hierarchy and the religious leaders, that occurred all night long. They arrested him late in the evening. They brought him to Caiaphas' house. They tried him there. They declared him guilty. They beat him until the sun began to come up the next morning. And now we come to that part of the scripture. The sun has begun to come up. It's before 6 in the morning. That's all we know. It's sometime between sunrise and 6 a.m. They've taken him out and they begin the journey toward Pilate's place. But there's three things that we really want to see that they, that they do to Jesus that we don't want to miss and that we don't want to forget. It says in verse 2, as we look, it says, And when they had bound him, the first thing they did is they bound him. When we look at Scripture, the Scripture lays out for us that the sacrifice was always to be bound. They would bring that sacrifice, that sacrifice would be bound. In Psalm 118, verse 27, it says, God is the Lord and He has given us light, so bind the sacrifice with cords, to the horns of the altar. 
the altar, the, the giant barbecue, if you will, there in the temple where they would bring their offerings to the Lord had four corners, and each one of those four corners was called the horn. And they would have a, a, a piece of that altar that came up where they would lead the sacrifice and tie it off. And they'd tie the sacrifice off to that place, and then the priest would continue to move forward with the sacrifice. So I don't want you to miss the fact that Jesus, throughout the trial, he's bound just like the sacrifice is. He's bound together, and then where's the first place they took the sacrifice? They lead the sacrifice to the priest. The same way we read in the scripture, they led him to the priest. Leviticus chapter 17 says, To the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they offer in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, to the priest. He's led to the priests. He's bound like the sacrifice and led. Uh, Isaiah 53, 7, you may remember the scripture says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. The same way, bound and led to the priests. And then I'm reminded, in Matthew chapter 20, before the arrest, before any of these things took place, Jesus prophesied of this day. He prophesied of what would take place. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 19, if you remember, he said, And they will deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify, and the third day he will rise again. Now, as we can see, as we look at the page of Scripture, Jesus has no control over these events they have arrested him, and now it's their, it's their doing. But what are they doing right now? They bound him, they've led him to the priests, and now they're delivering him to Pontius Pilate. They're bringing him to the Gentiles. And we know what's going to occur at the Gentiles. We know that when he arrives at the Gentiles, he's going to face another, another trial. And then, once again, while they're waiting for them to get their act together, to be able to take them down to a place, Golgotha. You ever wondered why Golgotha is in the middle of a stone quarry? Think about it for a minute. How did the Jewish people, before the Romans, uh, convict someone of a capital crime? How did they kill them? They were stoned. Where did they stone them? At the quarry. Where the stones were. In that place where they dug out all those stones... Right there next to the temple area outside the city walls. It's called Golgotha, the place of the skull. Because that's what the, 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 the little hill looks like. They've been pulling stones out of it. Looks like a skull. Still today. Sitting there still looking like a skull. Jesus knew these things were going to happen. What's, what's the point? And we, as we study the trial, we can see all the illegal things that they do. Understand that Jesus is not a victim. He is fulfilling God's perfect purpose. He's paying the price for all mankind's sin. Even men that will reject the gift. He is paying for it all. He's the perfect sacrifice. John the Baptist, when he saw him, you remember what he proclaimed? He said, behold the Lamb of God. It does what? 
takes away the sin of the world. That was his purpose. That's the reason he came. That was the whole reason why he's here. So here we see he's already gone through one beating. The worst is yet to come. We won't get to that today. But as they're leading him to Pontius Pilate, the the Bible gives us a little segue into one of the characters that had been taken advantage of uh, by the devil, by the enemies of God. And ultimately we see what takes place with him. And as we look at the tragedy of Judas, I hope, I hope it provokes us to some thought about where we are. Am I Judas today? It's only one thing. It's not whether or not you have betrayed the Lord. It's now what have you done since? All guilty. We're all guilty. What have you done? What have you done with it? Where do you go from here? Where do we go from this place? As we, as we begin to look at the tragedy of Judas, the scripture goes on to tell us as we continue, begins in verse 3, Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. He was remorseful. He had remorse. The Greek word for it is metamelomai. Metamelomai basically is sorrow without change. It's related to another word. Maybe you've heard that other word. The other word is the word repentance. Repentance is sorrow with change. Remorse is I'm sorry. But I'm not sorry enough to do anything about it. I'm not sorry enough to change. I'm not sorry enough to ask for forgiveness. I'm not sorry enough to change my direction and head in a new way, in a new path. This remorse is just, I'm sorry about what's happened. I'm sorry about what's going on with Jesus. I'm sorry. But I'm not repentant. You consider that concept, you just... Hold your finger here and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. You're going to turn right. If you get to Revelation, you went too far. Then go left. We come to Hebrews chapter 12. The scripture begins to lay out for us this concept, this idea of, of repentance, this idea of what is this all about? What does it mean? What does it mean to be repentant? In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, the writer of Hebrews says, Looking carefully, lest anyone should fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Or lest there be any fornicator... Or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. But you know that afterwards, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected because he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. He would not repent. 
What the scripture means is that Esau was full of sorrow, but he was not full of repentance. He could weep over what he had lost because of what someone had done to him, but never brought him to the point where he would turn his back on the the man that he was. The Bible tells that Esau was a man of the flesh, that he rejected all the things about the Lord, all the things that mattered about God. It says he despised his birthright. What's that mean? You see, prior to the Levitical priesthood, Prior to that time, the firstborn in every family was the priest of the family. The Lord said, the firstborn is mine. So he would serve as the priest for the family. He would be the one to seek the Lord, the one that would go to sacrifice, the one who would do all those things, whose heart and mind was set on the things of God. But the Bible says Esau hated all that. He loved to hunt and he loved all the gratifications of the flesh. He loved to chase women. He loved to do all kind of other things. But he did not care about the things of God at all. So one day coming in from the field hungry, his brother Jacob, who was a manipulator and a deceiver, not necessarily a good guy, but he had a heart toward the Lord. He said, man, what you're cooking smells good. Jacob says it is. It was bacon soup. my story i can make it whatever it wants all right all right all right so he smells this 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 bowl of lentils that 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 jacob had lentils does not sound good to me at all for bacon maybe but for lentils anyhow he smells and he says oh i give up everything i have if i could just have i'm gonna die if you don't give me a bowl so jacob said give me your birthright Esau didn't care. That's the part about all the God stuff. I don't care about that stuff. You can have it. But don't you see, without the Lord, there is no blessing. So later on, when there is no blessing, he weeps and he cries over the fact that there's no blessing, but he doesn't weep and cry because he has rejected the Lord. There's no repentance, only sorrow. We look at the pages of scripture, I think it's important that we understand and realize as we look at this concept of repentance today, the repentance always comes after faith. Repentance without faith is just cleaning up your act. Giving up drinking, giving up partying, giving up all the stuff that you do. But if there's no faith or trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't save you. But if you're saved, you will repent. Well, it's like saying, everything that barks is a dog. Well, it's not entirely true. Any more than everything that repents is saved. But I can bark. I'm not a dog. Uh, certain days, my wife may argue with you about that concept. But I'm able to bark. I'm able to do all those things. I can make all these things happen. But a dog will bark. A saved person, someone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, will repent. Their life will change. 
Period. It can't stay the same. If it stays the same, it hasn't happened. If I'm okay walking in sin, living in sin, and before we get all crazy, all kind of crazy talk goes on in the world about what is sin and what isn't sin. Let's make it simple. Proverbs chapter 16, the Lord talks about seven things he hates. I'm sure all of those are sin. And in there we have pride and lying. So before we look at all the other stuff, let's focus on that. Pride and lying. Let's focus on gossip. Let's focus on those things that we think is okay to leave in our lives and say, what's the big deal? A believer will repent. Doesn't mean a believer won't struggle. Do we understand the difference? Repentance means I change my direction. And I can change my direction a hundred times. In fact, if you try to follow me someplace, the chances are you will see a lot of repentance. I'll change my direction. In fact, my kids were down to visit this last week. They were down visiting, and we took them to the falls. And so I have one way that I go to the falls. If you mess up my one way that I go to the falls, man, there's a lot of repentance that's going to take place. So, of course, as I head down the road, what do they do? They close. What are they doing? Why do they have to have the road closed all the time? What did you tell me, babe? There's two seasons in Idaho, winter and road work. <laughs> unreal, unreal. So I am driving all over the place, turning the, I found every dead end road in Twin. Trying to take a, I, if I'd have just followed the detour, I'd have been okay, but there's got to be a better way. <laughs> Apparently there wasn't. Repentance In a believer's life, there will be a lot of repentance. There will be a lot of times where we stop and we say, Oh, Lord, forgive me. I have sinned. And we go to the Lord for forgiveness and He forgives and we turn our back to that sin and we walk. Now, we may make it a day, a week, a month, a year, whatever. We will fall again. We will struggle again. And we will repent again. Why? Because we're believers. And that's what we do. We repent We feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our life. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our life causes us then to realize and recognize the way I'm walking, the way I'm talking, the things I'm doing, it's not okay. And I need to seek the Lord's forgiveness. Because for this sin, He died. These sins were the scourge upon His back and the weight upon His shoulders as He hung upon the cross. So I will repent but there's a whole nother kind there's a whole nother kind a a kind that's sorry but won't ever change a kind that for the love of the darkness that they're living in will say well what do i i don't need to change the 20th century we do things different today i don't care what century it is sin is still sin period still sin well we're married in the eyes of God no you're not not if you're not married you're not well you just want me to get married oh I never told you to move in together don't blame that whole thing on me that's you I'm not telling you to get married I'm just telling you 
that's not okay. That lifestyle is not okay. And a believer will repent and change. He won't just be sorry. That's the difference with Judas. Man, I, you should have seen. I had like 700 pages of notes for today, which was a kiss of death for the children's ministry because it means I'm going to go forever. And I got through going through Judas and, and looking at all the things of Judas. And, and, uh, and then I kept going. And the Lord stopped me and said, I don't know where you're going. You need to get back there. Because it ain't okay. It ain't done. We have to understand this concept of repentance and the idea that in faith, when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I repent. If I don't repent and I'm okay living a life of sin and and slow down, don't get running off too far. If I'm okay living a life where I gossip and tail by talk about people all the time and I don't repent, there's something wrong with my faith. To be honest, a lot of people are upset about a lot of different sins, but to me in the church, that's the biggest problem in the church. And they'll make it, I know brother, I'm telling you, they'll make it, they'll make it look holy. You know how they make it look holy? Oh man, I need to tell you about brother so-and-so, we need to pray for him. Let me tell you about all the dumb stuff he's done. You won't believe all the things I heard, and I heard this and that and the other thing. Listen. You don't got to tell nobody. You can get in your closet and pray for him and just close your mouth. It's true. That's true. That's true. But look at our world today. Look at look at what's going on in our world. We have all this craziness happening and and we have a you know this this big uh, debate over homosexuality and and what or what the president is not going to make us or make us do in the future and we're we'll make a big stink and raise a ruckus and go crazy about it you know why because most of the church isn't struggling with that most of the church is struggling with something else but if i focus on that then i don't have to look at myself i don't have to deal with my arrogance i don't have to deal with my pride I don't have to deal with the sin in my life. I'll just pretend it's not there. There's just one problem. God's word calls us to repent. To change our direction. Now somebody's going to hear what I said and run around and say, you know, Jackie said that, that gossip is a bad sin and homosexuality is okay. So before you go do that, slow your roll. No. It's, none of it's okay. None of it. It is sin. Homosexuality is sin. It is not a choice. It is sin. It is a choice to sin. Just like a choice to steal is sin. Just like a choice to live outside of the confines of marriage is sin. Just like telling a lie is sin. Just like gossiping is sin. And we want to know why our country is plummeting and why we see the craziness going on in our world and why there's all this debauchery. It will be because the church has become okay with sin. Because we look at something else and we forget that the Lord calls us to examine ourselves. 
What's in your heart? What are you saying is okay? It's no big deal. It's not a problem. The scripture would lay out for us that it is a problem and that it is a big deal. And while we're thinking about this idea of repentance, don't worry, we're coming back to Judas in a minute. I want you guys to go to Luke chapter 15 to a very familiar story that Jesus told. We've talked about it before. I'm sure we'll talk about it again. But it's the parable of the two sons. Some people call it the parable of the prodigal son. But there's two sons in the parable. We don't always like to talk about both of them. But today, we're going to focus on the one who shows us a great example of what repentance is. The older brother shows us a great example of what repentance is not. But let's look at what repentance is. The Lord said in verse 11 of chapter 15, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided it to them, his livelihood. Jesus says this man divides his fortune among his children because one son comes and says, I wish you were dead, Dad. I want my inheritance now. And not many days after, the younger son gathered everything he had and journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Reckless spending. That's what prodigal means. Reckless spending. He just spent it all. It says in verse 14, But when he had spent it all, there arose a severe famine in that land and he began to be in want. My question is, how long do you think that took? I don't know. Seems to take a long time today. What, what do I mean? It doesn't take a long time to spend a lot of money. We could do that really quick. The, what it takes a long time to do is to come to the end of your chaos and craziness and recognize that I'm headed the wrong way on this road I'm on. I'm headed into a place I don't want to be. How long does that take? Sometimes it takes longer than others. Sometimes it takes longer than others. But here, this, this particular son, this younger son, he is, he is chasing, he's going, but the scripture says there was a severe famine. That means hard times came. There was a severe famine and he began to be in want. That's a nice speak for he didn't have nothing left. And when you don't have nothing left, you don't have any friends. Next verse says, And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine. And he gladly would have filled his stomach with pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. <coughs> so he has run down this wild, crazy road He's gone and spent everything that he had. He's wasted his living for however long it's been until he had come to this point. And when he came to this point, he recognized and realized nobody else has what I need. Only my father does. Folks, in the scripture that we're reading, the father is the Lord God Almighty. And he came to the point where he realized that all the living he could do and all the stuff he could have 
did not equal up to what he had in a relationship with his father. Even if that relationship was as a slave. He came to a point where he realized his condition. Before we can ever be saved, we have to know we're a sinner. Before we can be helped, we have to know we need help, right? Once upon a time, we, we lived, we'd vacation out by the beach. And when we vacation out by the beach, we'd, we'd often go swimming. And occasionally when you're swimming at the beach, you get caught in something called a riptide. And a riptide is kind of a drag because it will suck you up to two miles out away from the beach. And it doesn't matter how hard you swim, you will not get out until it's done with you. Especially if you don't do it properly. And many a person has got caught in a riptide and being sucked out to sea. And the, and the lifeguards will see and recognize that they need help. And they'll run up and they'll jump in the water and they flip on their fins and they take off swimming. They get to the guy or they get to the girl and they say, what are you doing here? I'm okay. And the lifeguard says, you're in a riptide. If I leave you here, you won't be okay. Got to swim to the side and get out. Or you'll be out there with them boats. They don't know they need help. They think everything's okay. What we see with the prodigal son is he recognizes his condition. Look what the next verse 17. When he came to himself. That's recognizing his condition. Man, look where I am. Look what I have done. Look what's happened in my life. When he came to himself. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? He's recognizing his condition. I'm a sinner. I'm in sin. I'm caught in a place I never intended to be. I never should have been. The next thing he does is he changes his course. I will arise and go to my father. Jesus said that the Son of God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through Him the world might be saved. And then He would go on to say, but this is the condemnation of the world. That men love the darkness rather than the light. That word love is the word agapeo. They will sacrifice themselves to the dark. Man and women will sacrifice themselves to sin because they love the darkness and they'll turn their back on their father because they hate the light. And that's the condemnation of the world. Jesus said the world's already condemned. I came to save it. If there's no change of direction, then we continue to follow the darkness. We run and flee into despair. We see a change of direction, a change of his course. He breaks away. Look what it says. He breaks away. Scripture goes on to tell us, <clears throat> I will go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. So he's going to pick up, leave. He's going to go to his father. And what's the very next thing we see? Confess his sin. He goes to his father and says, I have sinned. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned before earth. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He goes in an attitude of humility. I shouldn't even be your son anymore. I'm not worthy to be your son. Open and unreserved confession of his sin. 
The scripture tells us the best part. Verse 20, And he arose, and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran, fell on his neck, and kissed him. The son tries to speak, Father, I sinned against heaven in your sight. This is a whole speech he worked up, but he doesn't get very far. The scripture says in verse 22, But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe, put it on him, and a ring on his hand, and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat, drink, and be merry. For this my son was dead. But now he is alive. My son was lost, but now he has been found. This is what the attitude of repentance is all about. In Romans chapter 2, verse 5 and 6 says, But in accordance with the hardness of your unrepentant heart, You are treasuring up for yourself wrath for the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. We have to be repentant. I don't repent to get saved. I acknowledge I'm a sinner to get saved. I repent after Jesus Christ has saved me. I change. I don't do what I used to do. I don't go where I used to go. I don't make the same mistakes I used to make. Well, sometimes I do, but when I do, what do I do? I repent. I ask for forgiveness and I change. I don't just cry about the circumstances I find myself in, like Judas, that fellow we left back in Matthew 27 who was sorry but unwilling to change who was sorry about his circumstances who was sorry about his situation but he never sought forgiveness he never sought forgiveness he just stayed in a place where he was sorry he was sorry He was remorseful. But do you see, back in Matthew chapter 27, when when Judas, who who is dealing with this remorse and this sorrow, he goes to the place where he should have been able to get help. Where'd he go? To the priests. To the spiritual leaders of Israel. You know what the spiritual leaders of Israel knew? They knew that in Deuteronomy 27 verse 25 it says, Cursed is everyone who takes a bribe to slay an innocent person. Cursed. So he went there. He went there with his sorrow. He went there with his remorse. He brought back the 30 pieces of silver. He, he doesn't know what to do. He is sorrowful, but he doesn't want to repent. And he comes to the chief priest. And he says to the chief priest, look at the scripture, look what it says. He says, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. What do I do? What do I need to do? I've sinned. Where's the sacrifice? What do I have to do? I, I've sinned. I, 
I can't stop weeping. I can't stop crying. I don't know what to do. And the priest said, Who cares? Not my problem. That's yours. Not my problem. What's that to us? You see to it. I don't care. I don't care. Uh, now, before we get too far and we start feeling sorry for Judas, don't forget that he walked three years with Jesus. He could have done, made the choices that Peter made, but he didn't. The Bible tells us in, in John 6, verse 70 and 71, that Jesus said, Have I not chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? In John chapter 17, Jesus says, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name, and none have been lost to me except the son of perdition. The scripture tells us that Judas was never one of the twelve because he never believed. He never had faith. So he didn't know how to repent. So he had to have faith first. He didn't have it. He didn't believe. And so that's the way he reacted. This is the, the road, the path that he chose. He faced these things. But when we consider this concept, this realization does the sin in our life drive us to seek forgiveness does the sin in our life drive us to change or does the sin in our life just get swept under a blanket and we pretend it's not there because if I'm okay to just sweep it under a blanket and hide it and not think about it and not worry about it and I'll say things like well, we're under, the, we're under grace, not under the law. I have to question the heart. Because a heart that loves God treasures His commandments. Values them. The heart that values God's commandments when we break them will go to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. We'll seek for repentance. Jesus, when He spoke to the cities... Who had rejected him. In Matthew chapter 11 verse 20. He said then he began to rebuke. The cities in which most of his mighty works had been done. Why did he rebuke them? Matthew eleven twenty, Because they did not repent. Revelation chapter 9. We're, we're straightway in the middle of the tribulation period. In Revelation chapter 9. Seeing all these things being poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. This is what the scripture says in, Ma uh, in Revelation 9, verse 20. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they wouldn't worship demons or idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. They did not repent of their murder, of their sorcery, or of their sexual immorality or their theft they wouldn't repent because sometimes men love a darkness more than they love a light 2 Corinthians chapter 12 says for I fear lest when I come 
I will not find you as I wish, and then I shall be found by you such as you do not wish. There may, there may be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, backbiting, whispering, conceits, tumults. <clears throat> Lest when I come, my God will humble me among you, and I will mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of their uncleanness or their fornication or the lewdness that they practice. That's what Paul had to say to the church in Corinth. They did not repent. They did not repent. The Bible says, it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. That requires that you know God is good. That requires that you know the Lord. You have a relationship with Him. The goodness of God leads to repentance. Why? Because godly sorrow produces repentance. Because we're sorry for how we have offended the Lord. Then I'm not proclaiming my rights. What it is I'm allowed to do and still be a Christian. What am I allowed to do and still be a follower of Christ? Instead, I'm just lifting on high the name of Jesus Christ because He has done great and marvelous things for me. And it's not about what I'm free to do. It's about what He freely did for me. And that results in repentance. In Luke chapter 13... Jesus said this, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. For those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, unless you repent, you will perish likewise. Unless you repent. The charge against the church today is the church is weak. She's not strong because she has forgotten how to repent. She has forgotten the need of repentance. She thinks she's okay and there's nothing wrong and I prayed a prayer and everything's good and I don't I don't do those bad sins. I just practice the ones that are socially acceptable. Repent. The church needs to repent. And experience everything that God has for us. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but He is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should Come to repentance. All should come to repentance. In the book of Revelation, there are two chapters that focus on the church. The church is so prevalent in the book of Revelation in the first three chapters, it's, it's incredible that she is absent from there on. But in the first three chapters, listen, 
In chapter 2, verse 5, the message from Jesus Christ to his church. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do your first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Verse 16, repent, or else I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Verse 22, indeed I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. Remember therefore how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. If you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, for you will not know the hour that I come. Verse 19 of chapter 3, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Repentance is so vital to our Christian walk, to who we are, to what we're about. In Matthew chapter 27, we we read as, as he is struggling with the concept of what to do, he throws the 30 pieces of silver down in the temple. And the chief priests, they, they have this stupid argument about what's legal. They broke the law so many times in the last 24 hours. It's such hypocrisy. Well, it's not lawful for us to put this silver in the treasury because it's blood money. So they gave an everlasting memorial to the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, don't you see it? They bought a potter's field. And forevermore, the unwanted, the rejected, the undesirable, the stranger were thrown into that field. Because nobody else wanted them. But it was the field that Jesus bought with his blood. The same field that he's bought with his blood that we come to. The potter's field. The sacrifice that Christ has given for us. But the scripture tells us, after he threw down the 30 pieces of silver, he went and hanged himself. Judas wasn't a believer. Well, that has nothing to do with him committing suicide. It has everything to do with him entering into a place of despair, not having the power to change not having the power to see the new life that's available in Christ because he didn't believe he couldn't see any of those things. So he despaired and he gave up. He quit. And he went into eternity without Christ. Utter separation from God. That's the place of Judas who could not find a place for repentance like Esau couldn't find a reason so he didn't he didn't and as I was going over these scriptures and going over them again early this morning the Lord just continued to to speak to to my heart about are, are you willing to repent we have 
this morning an opportunity for the Lord's Supper. But before we do that, the scripture tells us that we are to examine ourselves to see whether we are of the faith. What is our attitude towards sin? Are we okay with it? Do we need to repent? Do we need to have an opportunity to spend some time seeking the Lord and seeking His forgiveness? He freely gives it. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Are you seeking Him for it? Are you living a life of repentance? Or are you just trying to say, My sin's okay. It doesn't matter. I can do what I want. When the Bible clearly indicates that you can't. You've got to choose a side. What side's it going to be? So this morning, before we we have the Lord's Supper, I'm gonna I'm gonna just play a song, simple song, and I'm gonna invite you guys to worship with me. If the Lord lays on your heart that there's issue in your life, you need to repent of, you need to confess, you need to be set free. We're gonna have folks out front available to pray with you, Fritz and and Joni are gonna come up. Any of the elder elders uh, that are here or prayer counselors that want to be around and available i invite you guys to be around and available but as we go before the lord we 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 want to live a, a strong life in christ then we have to learn how to repent and if we're going to repent we have to have opportunity so we're going to just we're just one song we're going to do a a song, and as we do that song, if the Lord spoke to you, and if it's something you need to to deal with, I want to invite you to come up and uh, and do that. Repent. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you'd like to, I invite you to come up as we sing and and take that opportunity to enter into life, to enter into everything that the Lord has for us. Let's go before Him. <clears throat>